The date is Friday, July 17th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. In this episode, Nick leads the discussion in dark humor, going over the many important names, events, and how it stands in today's society. Enjoy! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Entertain This! Entertain This, nice. Yeah, I like <laughs> that. Good. That's our podcast. Hey, that's the name of our podcast. Welcome to another week, episode 19 of the podcast. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. And uh, last week you guys heard me ramble on about uh, Knives Out. I hope that some of you got a chance to go and watch it and maybe confirm my theory. Just a quick reminder and a quick plug that we do now have r slash entertain this as the subreddit where you guys can go and discuss things. So take advantage of that. And uh, I like reading through all the stuff that uh, people post so that I can hear like what people think and stuff. Yeah, follow us on uh, the Instagram, the Twitter, and uh, wherever else we're listed. Spotify. Mm-hmm. We have a link tree. We have a link tree. Just go check it if out. You get, if you get to <laughs> one of our things, you'll get to all of them. That's right. This week on the podcast, Nick, you uh, are taking the reins. Oh, no, that's me. That's you. Uh, what am I talking about today? I don't know. You better come up with something, though. Um, how about dark humor? How about dark comedy? I like how we're doing this bit where we're pretending you don't have like an 11-page script in front of you. <laughs> it is 11 pages. How'd you know? It was a lucky guess. <laughs> Started with 12, edited back down, but here we are. Here we are, recording mere days after Independence Day on July 4th. And I think it's interesting that when you ask any American on the street why America is so great, they will usually answer freedom, right? But how free are we really? There are limits to our freedom. Most are going to say that, you know, of course there's limits to our freedom. I mean, you can't be completely free. But I'm, I'm going to... I'm curious, where are you going with this? <laughs> you know, I should have warned the you. Old Nick, the yeah. old Nick recipe for a, for a good episode. The a old Must and family recipe right. is dashing a little bit of politics right there at the beginning. <laughs> Just to reel them in. <laughs> and then loop it back around. <laughs> I should have warned you buckle up uh, to begin with. But I'm going to take you on a, a little journey through, through history, right? Uh, culture and society to explore the question of how free we are. So to start this expedition, I'd like you to think back on the worst joke you've ever told. Now, I'm not going to force you to say it on the air. <laughs> but just keep I hate it. that I automatically know. Yeah. And it's like famously the worst joke I've ever told. Yeah. I'm not saying it on the podcast. No, don't. There's no Please way don't. in hell that I would. We would never be able to get a sponsorship, ever. I will never tell that joke to anyone other than my closest of allies. But <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it off the air. You've uh, heard it. I told it to you. You were here the night that I told it. Oh, is that one? Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty bad. It is. I it's laughed. Really bad. But it was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. All right. Keeping it in mind. So that joke you told was probably told when you were younger, or maybe it was yesterday in some case. Uh, but was it a joke? Or perhaps it was an interesting musing on the wider world. Maybe you weren't even aware. Uh, this was bad to say at the time. I, I remember a story... Way back when, when I was a kid, I was, I was swinging on the swing set with my cousin. This was back in like 2000 or something. And I kept talking about horses, you know, bucking you off when they got pissed off. And I kept saying, fucking off. 
Having no teeth is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course, my cousin goes and snitches on me, and I'm like, no, please don't, 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 don't tell her. <laughs> um, I got ratted out, but I forgive him for that. You know, mm-hmm. that was the first time I said fuck. First of many times. <laughs> <laughs> but we can all remember back to those days of early days of online gaming, like in, in Halo or Call of Duty. Oh, boy. When you might have said some questionable things to that one kid who throwing a knife to you from across the map. Ultimately, you said these words because they had some sort of power, even if it was just to let off a little steam on that kid who killed you in the game. Or maybe you've told an off-color joke just to get a laugh or to break the ice at a party. So I know I told you many jokes to break the ice at a party. Uh, To you in particular, that's probably how you became friends in the first place. That's true. But we've all been there. Laughter is not only the best medicine, it is also a great thing to share with friends and the ones you love the most. But words carry with them weight. They mean things. You've heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's a lie. Words can always hurt you and others. Words are this clumsy game of telephone that we all play with one another. And the, the rate of data transfer between us speaking is a mere 40 bits a second. When you need 17 million every second to play a standard 1080p HD video, it's below dial-up slowness. But words are all we have. Some words even are just too bad to say out loud. Generally, these are known as swear words or curse or dirty words or expletives coming from the Latin for expletive, meaning to fill out. So if you say expletives every other word, like me, the Romans would be very proud of you. You say big word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why say big word when few words do trick? Yes. You can say very little words and still get the point across. We probably have more names for these words than the words themselves. We say words like the F-bomb, the S-word, the C-word, etc. Whatever you call them, these particular set of words are typically off-limits in professional environments. And at a time, they were considered too dirty to be said on the air. This has changed, as you may know, and you are free to hear someone on a broadcast or a Twitch stream say whatever swear and something totally out of left field. Maybe a favorite YouTuber or comedian or streamer has said something to you and like this, and you thought it was hilarious. Within the first five minutes, you said the F word three times. <laughs> I know, we're off to a good start. <laughs> <laughs> but all of this is, is part of the Sith side of the comedy force. This is a, a subgenre known as dark comedy, or black comedy, or dark humor, or whatever you want to call it. It's the, the dark side, the, kind, the, the side we don't necessarily talk about. It's the side that John Mulaney never touches. Is that true? I mean, it's pretty true. I never listened to a shit. If there was a Jedi of the comedy community, an absolute pure boy, <laughs> it is John Mulaney, who is famously, like... Clean. I wouldn't say clean, but, like, the least... Um, Dark? Yeah, I guess that's a good way of putting it. Like, he doesn't go to the... I, problematic, I think, is the word I'm looking for. He's the least problematic... Of all of the like abrasive or yeah, of all the male comics, he yeah. according to the internet is hmm. the least uh, problematic celebrity hmm. at the moment. Somebody said, um, for all of you who said John Mulaney is the only non-problematic man, first off, he is a proud Asian woman. <laughs> so keep that in mind, which is a reference to his comedy in which he oh, okay. refers to himself as in. <laughs> Uh, both an Asian child and a man with feminine hips. So I, I know he's a white dude. That's all I know about <laughs> that him. That is correct. Yeah. But if you still don't understand exactly what this type of comedy is, it's uh, it has a subgenre called gallows humor. 
That's wisecracks making on the gallows when you're about to be hung for your crimes. Um, much like a certain spider superhero might have said. A quips, yeah, if a you quips. would. I know a, a couple of good gallows lines that were given. Yeah, go ahead. Spit them out. Well, there was one woman who was being hung. She was actually the first female serial killer. Yep. Um, and on the gallows, she number one, she wore a wedding dress because it was a reminder that, I mean, back then it was illegal to execute a married woman, so they executed her husband first. <laughs> They're like, well, now you're a widow, so we can do what we want. Um, but then while she was on the gallows and, like, getting ready to... Uh, Sorry, no, when she was, like, getting ready to be hung mm-hmm. later on, she said, um, if you have any messages for the devil, give them to me, and I'll deliver them to him. And then they <laughs> hung her. And, like, what a great last line. Any famous last words? Right. <laughs> of course there's always last words. There's quips. There's jokes that can be made right before you kick the bucket. Right. But you show me somebody who doesn't like a joke about dying, and I'll show you somebody that really wants to die. <laughs> That's the first of many dark jokes. It's pretty good. <laughs> Before you write this off as trolling or lowbrow, there are a lot of aspects to it you maybe haven't considered. There's societal feelings towards the words we use, and ultimately we're a product of our surroundings. So let's start with history. Now, before you say, oh, there he goes talking about history again, I think that from a chronological perspective, there are things that may have shaped our opinions that we're not aware of. There's an old aphorism from Mark Twain who said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. So I'll keep my opinions out of this episode. And it's an ongoing hot-button issue on whether a joke was too far or not. So if you're looking for somebody to tell you this is what to think and here's why, this isn't the episode for you. A part of that is the fact that I really haven't made up my mind. And with our increasingly polarized climate, here I am sitting on the fence. So maybe you and I will learn something or find something new or find out why we think a certain way. And that's all I ask as we entertain this discussion of our comedy. There it is again. Drop the mic. I can't. Uh, I want somebody to make a compilation video of every time that we say entertain this. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be way too long. It would be. We're only what? We we actually didn't list what episode this is. I we're, did. 19. Oh, you, 19? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Channel 19. Hmm. 19 episodes in. 19 weeks. 19 hours. And we'd have <laughs> already a 20-minute enter- people saying entertain this. Compilation. Fall asleep to the entertain this boy saying entertain this. <laughs> entertain this. It's my Michael impression. You like it? No? Okay. It's pretty good. <clears throat> so where did this shit come from <laughs> in the first place? It was probably today considered, a lot of us would call it trolling, but it once caused a social uprising. And here's a quote that uh, I couldn't find the author to, but he said, black comedy or dark comedy has the social effect of strengthening the morale of the oppressed and undermining the morale of the oppressors. So to be able to laugh at evil and error means that we have surmounted them. So basically, if we make a joke out of these things that are supposed to be threatening or down, then we're basically saying, like, we really don't care. Yeah. And that in that way, it doesn't get us. Yeah. Remember how I said laughter is the best medicine? Yeah. Yeah, you laugh at death, you're like, <laughs> I'm not afraid of you. We all are. <laughs> Let's face it. It's almost a joke in and of itself, then. Explain that. What's that? So basically, like, if we're all afraid of death, Mm -hmm. but dark comedy is just like... Laughing at death. That's the joke. It's like, (laughs) death, you know that I'm not afraid of you. Or you know that I am afraid of you, but I'm acting like I'm not, and that's the joke. Mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah. Very insightful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) There's the famous, uh, fictitious example of gallows humor from Monty Python saying... 
always look at the bright side of life. You remember that? They're all hanging on the crosses. The song? Yeah, the song. song and dance. <laughs> <laughs> in case you still aren't clued into what, what I'm talking about here. But as early as antiquity, these types of jokes have existed. There's a, a Greek dude by the name of Aristophanes. You might have heard of him before. Uh, he was the first to make a joke and write Ever? it down. Yeah. Well, he wrote it down. So literally the oldest joke, joke in the book. Uh, yeah. The what? oldest joke in the book. Uh, I, don't, I don't Where? remember what it was. I'm sorry. Well, I have to Google it now. What was his name? Uh, Aristophanes. All right, I'll, I'll be right back with that. You continue on. With a PH, Aristophanes. Um, he's the father of comedy, in air quotes. Uh, this was around 400 BC, but I'm sure before that, the ancient Egyptians probably made a, a dark joke. What do I know? They just didn't write it down, or we couldn't find uh, evidence of them writing it down. This kind of comedy was kind of popularized in the mid-1700s out of the Enlightenment ideals around this time. There is. Everyone's saying, we don't like tyrants. We don't like monarchy. America was kind of born out of this, right? 1776 came shortly after that. And it's the undermining of monarchy by writing satires that was so popular. Kings and queens at the times had no idea what was going on. When they read all these satires, they thought, oh, that's funny. I'm not sure why. Ha, ha, ha. They're making fun of you. So Jonathan Swift, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this man. He's the writer of Gulliver's Travels. Mm, okay. Yeah, that was his book. Yeah, Jack Black. Starred in the movie Gulliver's Travel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Black transcends time. <laughs> well, uh, I have the oldest trick in the book, by the way, whenever you're ready. Okay, yeah, go for it. Uh, it says, how do you entertain a bored pharaoh? You sail to a boatload of young women dressed only in fishing nets down the Nile and urge the pharaoh to go catch a fish. Uh, and that was 1600 B.C., Wow. About the pharaoh. All right. <laughs> yeah. Guess that gets a little chuckle. Oldest trick in the book. Gets a chertle. A chertle. <laughs> uh, Continue on. A little hard blow out the nose. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's, that's all I ask for. It's pronounced chortle, and I mm-hmm. always do it wrong. Chortle. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. It's not a Pokemon. So later, the writings of Jonathan Swift were interpreted by a surrealist in the 1930s by the name of Andre Brayton to be one of the first uses of this comedy. Uh, though my view is it's closer to satire, but it makes it takes these these tragic or horrific events and portrays them in a comedic light. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds like Very. most of my jokes. Yeah. yeah. And guess what? That makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. And are we not uncomfortable enough already? Let's bring up Hitler. In World War II... You always take us to the most fun places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always. This is comedy. You guys are supposed to be laughing. Oh, my bad. Keep going then. Oh, 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 yeah, it's totally out of you know the humor and not being <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> so World War II, right? The Allies notoriously make fun of Hitler quite a lot. He's kind of he's a goofy guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got these animated speeches and the silly little salute he does. The 1940s sees The Great Dictator by Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. A great film. So great. Later, Mel Brooks, a Jewish guy, in 1983, does the same thing with To Be or Not To Be, which mm-hmm. is another great film. In turn, it makes Hitler seem like this crazy German dude that shouldn't be taken seriously at all, when in reality, he's one of Europe's most brutal dictators, spearheading a genocide against Jewish people. There was a movie recently that came out that also explored the dark comedy of Hitler. Was it where he went to Germany in present day and was like, hey, guys. <laughs> No, I think I think I know what he's talking about. Are you talking about Jojo Rabbit? I am talking about Jojo, Jojo Rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. Um, you did that for a quick this, I think, Michael. I didn't. Oh, who did? 
Somebody I don't know. Did. I don't think we have, but I think we've talked about it multiple times yeah, off the off podcast. The Wait, okay. Chloe, come here. Uh, how do you pronounce the director's name? Taika Waititi. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I knew that she would be able to pronounce it, but it's great that you can too. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a very large crush of mine. Taika Waititi. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm really, Jojo Rabbit, right? As we all know, I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Yeah. Taika Waititi. <laughs> he was the guy who directed uh, Thor Ragnarok. He was uh, Korg in that very same movie. Do you know uh, what else he directed? He directed uh, What We Do in the Shadows. That's right. Which is incredible. A little foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Foreshadowing within the episode. But you can remember what I said before about oppressors being undermined. The proof is in the pudding here. And nobody's more persecuted or oppressed throughout history than the Jewish people. The Bible with the Egyptians and our boy Moses, the Romans, and even today. They're cited as the first to have written these kind of dark comedic jokes around this time with a dark joke written by a a Jewish man in Nazi Germany. And I'll say it on the air because it's pretty PG-13. Rabbi Altman, rabbis, as you know, are like the priests in the Jewish tradition. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he and his secretary are sitting in a coffee house in Berlin in 1935. Herr Altman, says his secretary, I notice you're reading Der Sturmer, which is a uh, notorious German newspaper at the time. I can't understand why. A Nazi libel sheet? Are you some kind of masochist? Or, God forbid, a self-hating Jew? On the contrary, Frau Epstein... When I used to read the Jewish newspapers, all I learned about was the riots in Palestine, the assimilation in America. But now I read Der Sturmer, and I see so much more, that the Jews control all the banks, and we dominate the arts, and we're on the verge of taking over the entire world. You know, it makes me feel a whole lot better. <laughs> <laughs> That's really awesome. Yeah. The Jews are known for these kind of jokes, and they're always down for a little self-deprecation. Very admirable. Yeah. So we fast forward to the 1950s, right? We have the postmodernist movement, the post-World War II world. Uh, we have the threat of nuclear am- um, annihilation. It's a hard word for me to say today. These, uh, this is also the time where the proto-hippies start to come out of the woodwork. They're, they're called beatniks. Mm. Among these, I don't know if really among these, but Roald Dahl, who wrote the BFG and mm. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, had a parallel Roald career... Dahl in writing macabre stories for a more adult audience. He had a different name, didn't he? No, I think that was his real he name. He wrote under Roald Dahl still? Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl. Roald Tide. <laughs> Entertain <laughs> this. <laughs> How a bunch of Midwestern boys try to sound Southern. <laughs> Tune in every week. Oh, my God. Um, and, and Kurt Vonnegut and J.D. Salinger are kind of among this cohort of mm-hmm. beatnik kind of writers. Mm-hmm. Vonnegut. He wrote Slaughterhouse Five. Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah. What else did he write Some that they made me read in high school? <laughs> Some other shit. I don't know. Probably. I don't read. Who wrote? He, who wrote On the Road? I don't know. He was a beatnik. Yes. Who is it? Jack Kerouac. Jack Kerouac mm. is another Thank one. Thank you, Chloe, our resident fact checker. <laughs> um, we'll cut he this wrote. Part out. Yeah, he wrote On the Road, which a little interesting side note. If you don't mind me. Uh, Getting off track a little bit. Oh, I don't mind. He wrote that as a, he wrote an entire book as a, a conscious thought as he traveled across America. The book is written from his perspective as he was on the road. Um, and the way that he did it was he would take like 
you can imagine like the cheap paper towels, like the ones that are like legitimate paper that you dry your hands with oh, at yeah. like gas stations, yeah. mm-hmm. like rolls of those. He would hook it up to his typewriter and just keep typing and typing and typing and typing without tearing the page. And then he would just like roll it all up and send it to his publicist. And he was like, don't fact check it. Don't do anything. Just print it. <laughs> like, and he did that for months and months until he had this big book that his publicist made. That Jeez. was nothing but one giant roll of like paper towel that oh he used a typewriter on, which I think is incredible. That almost <laughs> sounds like uh, something Hunter S. Thompson would do. Yeah, yeah. With, mm-hmm. with less drugs, I'm sure. But yeah, probably. <laughs> Hunter uh, S. Thompson is one of those authors that I've always just wanted to sit down and talk to for an extended period of time. You, you oh yeah, he's you know, he's since deceased. Yes, Nick. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of deceased, dark comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of famous authors, here's another one for you. Allen Ginsberg. Or he's a famous poet. Unfamiliar. Famous. Tell me more. I will. Thank you. He wrote Howl, uh, which is a book of poetry or short stories or whatever you want to call it, in 1956. Gives you a, a kind of setting for the time period we're in. Is it, is, does he have any relationship to the current Supreme Court Justice, Ruth Bader Ginsburg? I don't, I don't think okay. so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, be cool if he did. Um, San Francisco in the 50s, right? And also throughout the 60s is the epicenter for kind of the beat and hippie culture. Howell contains many references to illicit drugs, sexual practices, both heterosexual and homosexual. And it's pulled from book, bookstore shelves, becoming a banned book, much like J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye. And at one point, The Diary of Anne Frank. Yeah, all of those banned books. It's one of the first cases in modern literature when people said, hey, you, you can't put that in a book. It's obscene. Boo-hoo. They said the F word, right? Um, <laughs> we wouldn't have survived the 1950s. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but this leads to court, multiple court battles, and it makes its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. And at this point, you might be saying, but Thick Nick, well, why are you talking about Supreme Court battles? Laws reflect the common values of the people. It's, it's a line graph to catch up. You have the common values of the people and the, the laws trailing behind them just because that's the way laws move very slowly. But the primary job of the Supreme Court is to interpret the Constitution. The Constitution is the supreme law of the land. They make decisions based on how this supreme law might be ap- applied. 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 That's the Applic applied. We're going to cut that out. Yeah, you can take that again. <laughs> Please don't. I love it when you flub. I flub all day. Uh, most notably with the case Roth v. United States. And it's a 6-3 decision, meaning, you know, it passed. Uh, but it defined obscenity as, quote, material whose dominant theme, taken as a whole, appeals to the prurient interest of the average person applying contemporary community standards. So a quick side note, if you don't know what prurient means, you're not alone. I looked it up too. It means having or encouraging an excessive interest in sexual matters. Mm. So that kind of gives you uh, an idea of what obscenity is. This gives Congress the authority to ban material, having no redeeming social importance. And you might be saying at this point, well, that's a clear violation of free speech. Or is it? Cue the Vsauce music. I don't know why my brain went to X-Files instead. (laughs) (laughs) So how does, quote-unquote, free speech apply here? 
Enter the First Amendment. This is the only part that makes sense so far to me about dark humor. <laughs> you this talk about sense. all of it, and then the, your question is, now how does free speech apply to dark humor? <laughs> I'll, I'll wrap it all in a nice bow. Okay, okay, go ahead. Maybe I won't. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> you can wrap it on a sloppy bow, just please. Yeah. It will be wrapped. <laughs> you need me to lay down a beat for you? No, no, no. This is fine. We'll, oh, okay. we'll, we'll do the Vsauce music underneath this. The raw text... <laughs> of the First Amendment is, drumroll please. Congress. And that's how we bust our audio. (laughs) (laughs) Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So it's important to note here that obscenity is not protected by the First Amendment. So Congress, in air quotes, the U.S. government, can and has passed laws to limit obscene speech. That seems pretty reasonable, right? You don't want people saying, you know, F-words everywhere. Or we do anyway. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so they found the book in question, Howell, did indeed have redeeming social importance as a whole and therefore could not be banned. So there are some sexual parts and there are some filthy words in there, but as a whole it has social importance. Obscene speech, in many cases, is an application to what seems to be pornography, which is almost wholly, quote-unquote, material whose dominant theme taken as a whole appeals to the prurient interest. But we don't uh, get arrested when we go to the Hub website any day of the week. So what changed between then and now? Society changed. And I'm here to talk about dark comedy and not porno. Porno is not funny. This isn't a beach, it's a bathtub. (laughs) I did, but I don't have any money. Why the (laughs) fuck do you order a pizza? (laughs) Okay, maybe it's a little funny sometimes. (laughs) But that's not what it's about. There's a few more Supreme Court cases that happen over the years, and once again, laws have changed uh, based on society. They're not written in stone. FCC versus Pacifica happened in 1978 or it was decided then. It was probably brought to their attention in 1973, and this is the meat and potatoes of what I'm here talking about today. George Carlin, one of the famous comedians of the day, had a bit including the seven dirty words you can't say on television. This is inspired by his predecessor, Lenny Bruce, who was arrested for saying these same words at uh, a stand-up set in Milwaukee. George Carlin later calls these the Milwaukee Seven. Mm. A little joke there. A uh, quick trigger warning for those who can't handle swear words here. The, the se- they're dirty seven. These big seven that you cannot say are as follows. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. I'm pretty sure I you made a song out of that, didn't no, you? No, uh, Blink-182 has a song titled <laughs> that only sings those songs. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mind made that connection immediately. Yep. That's obscene, isn't it? <laughs> it's obscene. Pacifica, who is uh, the one bringing this case to the court, was a broadcaster at the time, and they aired this bit on the radio. Can you imagine hearing this on the car radio nowadays? This gets the attention of the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, regulates what you can and can't say over the air. So the Supreme Court said, yep, that's right, you can't say those over the air. They found that this was indecent, but not obscene. You still shouldn't swear over the air on the radio unless you want to get fined, which the FCC has and can do. But you can get it and play it at your own house. Unless, of course, it's during certain hours of the day, 
I know it's random. Yeah, I was gonna ask. So, like, I remember Comedy Central at like certain hours would play like uh, uncensored versions of like South Park or yep. comedy specials. You saw the same episode I did. Was it the space episode? Oh yeah. It was the Kenny and Space episode. Oh, yeah. I was just talking to Chloe about this. It's like I, I distinctly remember it being like two o'clock in the morning and South Park definitely showing me uncensored tits. And I was like eight. Yeah. That's that's uh, we're gonna get to that. Why they can do that. Okay. But by and large, you can't flip on the tube and see uh, boobs in your face. You can with the right cable package. <laughs> or the nice right dark comedy <laughs> joke. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> or the right tube, right? Hey. <laughs> But uh, Lenny Bruce, right back to him again, the predecessor to George Carlin, had a had a bit where he called the government fascists in response to his arrest and Carlin after him. But does name calling help anyone's case here? It seems almost juvenile. Like, oh, you're just being a poopy head. So the comedian in question, who mm-hmm. uh, I believe we're talking about, Lenny Bruce. Yep. Lenny Bruce, as a reaction to. Uh, the government basically being like, hey, stop that. He was like, you all are a bunch of fascists. Oh, okay. And the question is, uh, is calling the government fascist really worth anything? Does it really prove your point, or does it just kind of stop the conversation? Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I think that's where we're headed. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah, name-calling, yes, it's juvenile, and sometimes, in some cases, it's 100% justified. I just sorry, I'm I'm doing a bunch of side research just so that I like have more things to talk about. And I just found out that um George Carlin right, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. George George Carlin uh was in Cars, the movie. Yep. He was Fillmore. Yeah, he was the hippie, hippie VW. Van. That is incredible. He was also Mr. Conductor on Shining Time Station and narrated Thomas the Tank Engine. You would know these train facts. That's true. <laughs> I said it before and I'll say it again. I like trains. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you brought up George Carlin. When we have a P.O. box, everybody please send Nick as many trains as you please. can. Send me Thomas. Send me <laughs> everything you can find. And that list was so <laughs> <laughs> short. <laughs> Anything train related, I want it. Okay. Engineer's hat, I don't care. Send can me we, a train. We need to get you a conductor's hat for when you're, like, when you're hosting the podcast. <laughs> for when I do finally set up my model train set in my basement. Six we years can't record there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you brought up George Carlin for a minute there. You brought him back around, revi- revisiting him uh, to further the point of society changing. And one of his later sets, I think this is circa mid-2000s or so, he uh, unfortunately has passed away in 2008, mm-hmm. so R.I.P. George. He talks at length about suicide and mass murders. Natalie and I were in the car, I think driving <laughs> to here to record the podcast and listening to this to this uh, stand-up performance. And I think it was just too much for us to stomach. Unfortunately, I know people that have committed suicide, and this just wasn't funny. Well, just like society, we can change our opinions, too. I might have thought that was hilarious when I was 14 or 15, but that's okay to change your opinion. And you can't talk about George Carlin without bringing up Richard Pryor. I know as soon as I pitched this idea to you, Michael, you immediately said, oh, you have to talk about Richard Pryor. And you're right, I do, because mm-hmm. he's funny and hilarious, and I think he's a great comedian. He's a contemporary with George Carlin. He's an African-American guy. He's one of another comedy greats, influencing a generation of comedians after him. 
people like Eddie Murphy, Jerry Seinfeld, and yes, even Dave Chappelle, to name a few. To put his comedy in perspective, Bill Cosby said, yes, I know Bill Cosby did some bad things. I'm going to acknowledge that. He said once, quote, Richard Pryor drew the line between comedy and tragedy as thin as one could possibly paint it. His subject matter deals with ethnicity and what it means to be black in the United States, to the point where he puts the N-word in his album cover titled That N-Word's Crazy. He later decides to scrub this from his act, act after a visit to Africa, which good on him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I hear certain people out there that are screaming about double standards. Yes, definitionally, this is a double standard. But at the time, this was a powerful word that I feel like only a very small number of people should be able to use as some sort of retribution for what all that society has done for them. And yes, there's even double or triple or quadruple standards literally everywhere. So why single out only one particular group of people? Words are tricky and there's always gray areas. I think now more than ever, it's important to kind of like take notice that uh, especially like in cases like this. So this is a great example that it, like it's okay to think a certain way and then learn new information exactly, and then change that opinion. Yeah. And to you, you carry the burden and the guilt of what you did before, but it's only to remind you that it was bad. So it doesn't happen again. It is okay to learn and move on from it. Yes, yeah. exactly. I yeah. agree. It's okay to grow up too. When, you know, when you make dark jokes when you're 14 or 15 or 16 or whatever, and you move on from that. You, I probably called some people very naughty things on Call of Duty back in the day. Some things you'd probably never call anyone now. Oh, no. Right. Not with the 10-foot pole, if that's even possible to say words like out talking, of. Like talking. Into yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't scream those into a pillow nowadays, you know? Yeah. But uh, truth, the truth is that context is key. You can say whatever you want on the internet, but just don't say it out loud. Mm-hmm. It's a different context. Right. Like along the same vein, like for in my personal experience, like I used to have, uh, like no problem saying the word like retard as an insult, right? Uh, but then I met my girlfriend who her, she has a special needs brother, mm-hmm. and that completely changed my perspective on it. Yeah, and it's just like oh, now that I have this personal tie, this personal involvement with that word, uh, it's like oh yeah, no, that means a lot more now than it words did. have power yeah. i think yeah. it's it's so easy when it doesn't affect you directly to sure. kind of like desensitize things like that yeah, it's us versus them them over there i can call them whatever i want because well, it, i wouldn't they, even say it's a, a thus for us versus them it's just a decent like desensitization to it's it. like, just yeah it doesn't affect me so i have no skin in the game so mm-hmm. it feels like a bet that i can't lose in mm-hmm. doing it but that's i mean that's a way of thinking that we need to get away from yeah. Right, well, because it's the thought, like, all words have some semblance of power. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter necessarily how you take them to mean it. It matters how the people around you take them to mean it. Yeah. That's, that's the very basis of words, mm-hmm. is to communicate a thought within your head out to the world. Right, and then the tricky part with it is, though, is that your meanings behind words can mean something completely different to another person. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a key takeaway here, if we have those. <laughs> Sometimes we have good takes. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we say some <laughs> things are insightful. Most of the time we just say poopy words, you know? <laughs> we say swears a lot. Like shit and piss and fuck and cocksucker. Michael, and- stop! <laughs> <laughs> There's a very important dark uh, comedy article uh, that came out. It wasn't recent, but it's still relevant. Um, I'm trying to figure out exactly who published it. 
uh, it was HuffPost posted an article called, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. Uh, and it's an entire <laughs> article that literally, in, it's, our disagreement is not merely political. A fundamental divide on what it means to live in a society is uh, kind of the tagline of it. But it basically goes into detail on like, hey, uh, saying stuff like this, if it's funny, that's great. But also like taking into consideration, like, I don't know how to explain this to you. You need to care about other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's how living a society works. Yeah. We live in a society. <laughs> um, I was waiting for it. There we go. There it is. Um, <laughs> people on Tumblr are always saying that. But basically like, yeah, it, it is dark comedy to kind of look at it in a way of like, this is so obvious. Like, of course you need to care about other people. But in this article, it's like, here's an entire article explaining to you like, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have to care about other people. Exactly. Yeah. Well, but then here's the other side of it, and which I don't know if you're going to get into this at all, but like it's the whole idea of should is comedy something that should be so limited? Like, Ooh, yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah, yeah, should comedy be limited? Which, like, if that's a discussion that you've got set up for later, I'm more Perhaps. than happy to save it for that. Hey, let's yeah. delve into that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's fast forward once again to HBO. Cable channels uh, flip the whole no swearing on the TV thing on its head in the 80s and 90s. And I think we have George Carlin to thank for that, don't you think? He but, was the first host of Saturday Night Live. That's right. So, yeah, I'd say that he probably was one of the uh, initial blows to that barrier. Yeah. And because cable channels, these things you pay for, are not public broadcasts, they cannot be regulated by the FCC. Hmm. People pay to see these broadcasts, so it's all Gucci. Once again, capitalism in America is a strange beast. Mm -hmm. But it's key that people have a choice in deciding what they watch. NBC, CBS, and ABC are all standard broadcasts. They are broadcasts over the air, so anyone, including children, with a TV antenna can see and hear them. Hmm. So that's why they're regulated. Mm -hmm. Which did happen to us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You pay a cable company to get a wire plugged into the back of your TV. And you access these special channels, and you might even see a nipple or two. Who knows? That was standard cable yeah. that I saw it on. I was just up too late. It's just a matter of if you play your cards right. I remember Comedy Central was in a standard cable. So I imagine the three of us are very similar, at least in our upbringing, to like late night weekends during summer vacation. You stay up late. You yeah. watch South Park at like 11 o'clock at night. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. And then after that, it does like the... like. I think at the time it was like The Daily Show and um, the other one that was like exactly like The Daily Show, but it was hosted by Colbert Report. Colbert Report. Thank you. Colbert Report. But all throughout those, also there were advertisements for Girls Gone Wild. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but let's notice. Oh, yeah. You never saw a nipple. No, you never did. But man, the advertisements were just like always. And it's so it's become a weird part of my childhood. <laughs> yeah, I think it's everyone's. <laughs> a weird part of my childhood to be watching South Park and to quickly turn the volume all the way down when the Girls Gone Wild commercial yeah. comes on. You hear on. the marimbas like because dun, 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 dun. like I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, just had a, such a flashback. Yeah, You're there. It really is. You're there, aren't so, you? So, but I didn't want like my grandma to walk in because I'm no. staying at my grandma and grandpa's house watching this because they never checked in. No, but I didn't want them to walk in and just be like. <laughs> my girl would be like, what are you watching? So, but yeah, you're right. That is a very important part of my childhood. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, maybe George Carlin's to blame for that. <laughs> thanks, St. Thanks George for the uh, tits on the TV. The tits mm. on TV. 
Hey, that's Family Guy. Thanks, George, yeah, for that. Talk about dark comedy. Tits. <laughs> Thanks for the tits, George. <laughs> so Howard Stern, another great name, in co- well, great in air quotes here, mm-hmm. uh, but he's a shock jockey. And I thought originally that this entire uh, podcast would be called Shock Comedy. Shock Comedy is also called Dark Comedy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we've, we've been through all the names of it. But mm-hmm. it was in the 90s. He was a frequent subject of frequent FCC fines because he couldn't stop saying swear words. Eventually, he decides later on in the 2000s to sign with Sirius XM, which is a satellite radio provider, to avoid all this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the big reasons why... Uh, Sirius got like huge was because yep. Howard Stern moved on yeah, to it. Exactly. And, and another, just another side note, because I keep getting hey, us we off love track. side notes here. Um, but Spotify is actually doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they recently got, what's his name? Rogue Jogan? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. They did. They, mm-hmm. got, they got Joe Rogan exclusively yep. on Spotify for yep. Spotify Video now, which now exists. There's a video platforming for podcasts on wow. Spotify, which is something that we might look into. <laughs> Yeah, if we, if we ever want to get like a nice camera. I have a nice camera. I mean, I do too. We could do multiple angles. We could. <laughs> Nobody wants to see me in multiple angles. I know. Can I, can I get an <laughs> angle like pointed directly up from my stomach? <laughs> we can make anything happen. That's, that's the blowjob look, right? <laughs> the blowjob angle. Oh, nice. no. Now I can't do it, Nick. <laughs> I don't want to subject anyone to that. Dark comedy, ladies uh. and gentlemen. <laughs> you even get it in your podcast. <laughs> But you remember what I said about history rhyming, right? History is yeah. rhyming once again. And because we pay for the internet and we choose the content we view, who gives a flying fuck? And I just said some swords on the internet right then and there. And I'm not going to jail. We aren't going to jail. So it's pretty cool, right? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. But this all goes to shows that laws and opinions have shifted over the years. And we stand on the shoulders of giants. We all have Allen Ginsberg, George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, and Richard Pryor to thank for bringing this issue up in the first place. Comedians do a lot more than just say funny shit on a stage. They're a source for social commentary and have moved the needle on swear words and dark comedy as a whole. So are we just bickering over words? Maybe. But this is important for the discussion at hand. And I'll briefly acknowledge freedom of speech also extends to copyright. But guess what? That's a massive can of worms that we don't have time to over, open or cover. So we fast forward once again to the internet age. Dark comedy is alive and well. And of course, we have to mention a little website called 4chan. Oh. <laughs> I hate when we talk about 4chan. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, an anonymous message board, right? I think we're all familiar with it. But yeah. people can post anonymously. They don't have to use a username or anything like that. So, wait, it is not a hacker? No, it is not a hacker known as 4chan. Okay. <laughs> All right, continue. I think anonymity shows the worst side of humanity at times, right? It, it asks the question, what if I can say anything I want without it getting back to me? Mm-hmm. That's powerful, right? Your FBI agent's taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> 4chan is the source of a lot of memes that we know and love today. It's the birthplace of memes. Dark comedy thrives on this website, but not everyone is there for that. Some people are just there to see anime titties. Things that you would never dare to mutter out loud, even if you're home alone. These are said and discussed on these message boards. Macaulay Culkin is on these message boards. (laughs) (laughs) But 4chan, as it turns out, behaves a lot closer to a hive mind than a collection of individuals. 
you have things like Tay the Chatbot, as uh, we discussed in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, Dub the Do contest where... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 4chan, uh, I don't know what you want to call it. They they rated. Rated is the right word? Yeah. They rated this, the Dub the Do, which is the new name for a Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what year this was, but they all get on there. They're like... It's recent. Yeah. <laughs> like, what if we called it Gushing Granny or Fapple? <laughs> See, and those are like those are those are tame compared to what the like, what they used to do. Because yes. like they did the thing where they sent uh, T Pain to uh, Alaska, Alaska to perform in a Walmart parking lot. Yes, holy shit! They also You're so right. They also sent Taylor Swift to perform at a uh, school for the deaf. But they did it. That's the thing is, those artists still went and they did it. I don't think Taylor Swift did. I think no. she donated there. But T Pain for sure did. Oh, he did. No, was it T Pain or was it um, Pitbull? It was Pitbull. Yeah, it was Pitbull. You're yeah. right. <laughs> 4chan is this hive mind that does things to certain particular celebrities. I love No, those. but then like the really gross shit that they used to do, like they, uh, I think Doritos had a similar contest. Yeah, a they had a like make ago. our Super Bowl commercial contest. No, this is, this is before that. This was like a come up with new flavors of yeah, Doritos like or something. And it was just like, just straight up. That was, sh- that was Lay's, wasn't it? Might've been. Cause they made like orange juice and toothpaste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they did that, but then they also had ones that were just like directly racist. Yeah, yeah. Of like, uh, like, oh uh, god, what was it? Like, Hitler did nothing wrong. Or... Hitler did nothing wrong. Cheese. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not the most funny, but you know. No, it's it, it's one of those things where like 4chan has its moments where it's a hit and miss. <laughs> it's sometimes it's hilarious and sometimes it's downright scary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Pepe the Frog. You know, he came out of 4chan. Pepe, Pepe Pepe the Frog is a uh, he's a weird character. It's an interesting character that has had a very weird history. Well, he was hijacked, right? It, absolutely. Yeah. This is a good place to talk about this in dark humor. Yeah. <laughs> Pepe the Frog started out as this dude who was just hanging out with his friends, and he was like drawing comics to represent like his life at the time. Yeah. yeah. And he even said like I I consider myself to be the Pepe of my group because Pepe was just like a good time frog. Like he mm-hmm. got high with good, his man. friends and like, that was what Pepe did. But then basically got stolen by, I mean, a bunch of people and made into like this hate symbol, like the KKK used him for a little bit. Yeah. And like, even the artist who like drew Pepe was like, I want Pepe back. This is not who Pepe is. Yeah. And like, that just led to people drawing their own Pepe's and then it's like copyright once again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the like currency of like a rare Pepe and like, <laughs> you just get in all that stuff. I was <laughs> like, didn't, didn't Hillary Clinton even like say that Pepe the frog is a symbol of like white nationalism? Yeah. 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 Which is unfortunate. He's not, I mean, he could no. be, but he's definitely not. It's, it's one of those things like, how do you, how do you combat like someone hijacking your shit to do awful things with it. Yeah, it's difficult. Other than the copyright, there really isn't much you can do. Well, yeah. I what mean, do you do on 4chan? You're like, hey, you better stop. And then they like right. dox you. So, <laughs> so then it begs the question. I, I don't know. For me, like the strategy for that seems like start using it everywhere. 
mm-hmm. like make it oversaturate make it oversaturate yeah. the market right. and turn it into something that which is means, what he did yeah which turns it into something that means absolutely nothing so he actually yeah. like sent out a large group of people he may have collected them from tumblr if i remember there was tumblr reddit uh <laughs> twitter and, and he, he got them from all over the place he like started a campaign where he's like use pepe right and oversaturate the pepe market and mm-hmm. that's exactly what they did and eventually people like it got to the point where like the 4chan users were like well, this you stole Pepe from us. Right. <laughs> and the like creator was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you stole it from me. I made this. <laughs> I don't think there's another episode that we could talk about this. It was no. a little off subject, but it's a very cool yeah. story. Yeah. Anyway, back to you, Nick. Basically, the Wild West of the Internet. Am I safe in saying that? Yeah. There's virtually no that. rules or limits. And it's a throwback to the early days of the Internet. And there's hate speech which is defined as public speech that expresses hate or encourages violence toward a person or group based on something such as race, religion, sex, or sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Meaning's kind of right there in the word. Yeah. If you need a clear-cut example of this, I'm not going to give you one because I think you already know what hate speech is. Correct. Saying this, let's it's, it's saying, like, let's go beat up on this particular group of people. That's probably hate speech. But then how can you be sure it's not a dark comedy joke? It's the intent. Saying, I want to go beat this man in, in the face or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's probably hate speech. But it's, it's a gray area, like with any, with any word. Yeah, you don't really know, unless you're Mark Wahlberg, if it's hate speech or not, <laughs> or if it's a hate crime, mm-hmm. per it's, se. It's tricky. It's a gray Mark area. Mark Wahlberg, you know, immediately. Mm-hmm. You wake up and, you know. Anyway. Should this type of speech be protected <laughs> under the First Amendment? Should it, what do you mean by should it be protected? Should speech in general, and hate speech would, along with that, be protected by the First Amendment. Oftentimes, people use the First Amendment to be like, I can say what I want. Yeah. So I personally think that people take advantage of the First Amendment. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it goes right back to that article I was talking to you about. Like, I don't know how to tell you you need to care about other people. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's it kind of goes back to, like, the classical example of, like, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Yeah. Like, yeah. the First Amendment goes only so far as, uh, of, like, of your intent. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think if the First I mean, the amendments altogether are almost solely based on intent. And that's why, that's why we have to have the highest court in the land <laughs> The Supreme exist, Court be like to interpret. Well, this is what it actually meant. It's like this thing that was <laughs> entirely like made two hundred years ago and is super vague. Doesn't yeah. apply directly to what we know today. It was yeah. purposely vague to yeah. account for the changing exactly. society. I mean, yeah. we can go back in history. The founding fathers wrote the Constitution to be vague. Mm-hmm. They said, uh, "We don't want this to be written in stone. We want there to be changes later on." Yeah, which is where you get the, the Bill of Rights. The first. 10 amendments to the Constitution, mm-hmm. which includes the free speech amendment, the First right. Amendment. But so, again, I think, that it complete, I think that it completely should be based off intent. If your intent is to attack or hurt people who I would say are defenseless, or even if it's just to like be an asshole, I mean, should you be allowed to do that? I mean, you can. Mm-hmm. It's a free and then, country. And then somebody but, can say, well, I was just joking. But, I mean, again, it goes right back to, like, you have to fucking realize that we live in a society where, like, if you... We live in a society. <laughs> or if you, uh, I mean, you want to be good. You want to be a, a, a standing well, member of that society. We, yeah. we live in a society that is, a, that is governed by a set of rules. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Constitution. you have to recognize that 
the set of rules is in place to allow for the greater good of the entirety of society. Exactly. And if speech is directly harming a group of that society, then is it no longer protected under law? It's one of those things where, and I think that it's a fair blanket rule to say, if you say it with the intent to hurt somebody, then it probably isn't cool. Uh, and it's if, probably hate speech. It's probably hate speech. Now the question is, where do you draw the line between exactly. hate speech and dark humor? Exactly. Because you can just as easily say, well, I was telling a dark joke. Were you really? <laughs> but I feel like it's clear when the intent is like, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not serious. And I think that a big building block of dark humor is, like, obviousness. Like, or ridiculousness. Like, com- what it a- has to be, like, a comedian on a stage or something like that. That's no, obviously like, telling a joke. Even, like, well, then, they say things, and if they are at all hateful in any way, they're usually so outlandish right. that it's obvious they're not serious. Exactly. And yeah. that's kind of the building blocks of it. Like, mm-hmm. A good counterpoint, and I think what serves as a good example, is um, the guy who played Kramer. Uh, he, <laughs> he was a mess, I heard. I know where you're going with this. Yeah, he had a comedy show where he was essentially just not doing well, mm-hmm. and he was getting heckled and stuff. And so he, he ended up saying some bad shit on stage. Mm-hmm. So it's like the fact of the matter is, like, one, I think the joke has to be good. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the person who has to be saying it has to be doing it without malintent. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I th- I think it's such a fine line. It is, but like it's, but it's one of those things where like you notice it mm-hmm. as soon as it crosses the line. Like it, it's a that. gut feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I think if we go back to the Supreme Court, one of them said, "I know obscenity when I see it." Yeah. You know it when you see it or hear it. Right. So here's, a, an, I think, on the other side of the spectrum, somebody who does it really well, this, like, dark comedy who's still, like, active today, um, and that's Ricky Gervais. Mm-hmm. And I think that the reason that Ricky Gervais is so good at kind of maneuvering the lasers of comedy is because his demeanor is so, like, I don't care. That And it's not in a way of, like, I don't care what you think. It's, like, I legitimately am numb to everything. I do mm-hmm. not care. Yeah. And because of that, when he says things that, for the most part, he does a lot of atheist jokes. Um, but when he says things like that, it comes off as, like, I'm not passionate about this, about what I'm saying. I'm just saying it. Yeah. And so even the people who are, like, I'm offended by that, they're, like, well, he's not really in. Like, he doesn't have skin in the game in this. Yeah. He's just saying it because it's funny. It's like, even if I could debate this person, they wouldn't give a fuck. Right. <laughs> and that's kind of the comedy of it is like, he's not there for the debate. No. Right. He's so, just there to say funny shit. So what is the ideal response that you would want out of an audience for saying a dark joke? Is it like laughter or is it the, ooh. <laughs> is it a gasp or is it somewhere in between? Yeah. I don't know. I think dark humor comes from a place of, and it really is this agreement with the comedian and the audience that mm-hmm. I'm about to say something that I know that you think and that when you think it, you go, I shouldn't have thought that. Like, and I'm, I actively understand too that like sometimes I have thoughts that I shouldn't think. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that we have that shared experience of we all know I shouldn't have thought that. Yeah. yeah so um, maybe, maybe that line in the sand then is built off of like recognition by the person who's saying it, that it is an awful thing. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Like, like hey, I know this is bad, but... Yeah. <laughs> Ricky Gervais does this stand-up routine where he brings out a book that he was given in Bible study, mm-hmm. and it is Noah's Ark. And he takes the audience through the entire book on a projector behind him where he points out everything. And he goes, I just want to remind you guys that this book was given to me at the age of six. And he like shows the front cover where his name's written in and his age. And like mm-hmm. they give it to him as a reward for showing up to Bible study so much. And he goes, now let's go through it. And he goes through it. And to kind of further your point, he's like, understand that I don't have anything against religion. I don't have anything against like people who want to gather and say this stuff. It's fine if you want to do that. But this was me at six. I was six when this happened. That's mm-hmm. the thing that's funny mm-hmm. is that I had no control over like my bowels and they expected me to take this as gospel. And he like shows all the pictures. He's like, so there are already two giraffes on the boat and that's like one third of it. So you tell me the elephants are going to fit and they're going to fit. <laughs> and he like goes through and he's like, just the ridiculousness of this book. Mm-hmm. Kind Not of even like shows. the story, right, but the right. book and itself. It's kind of silly. Yeah, and that's yeah. the dark humor of it is like, he's making fun of the book, but he's really making fun of the story. Yeah. But it's funny because the story is a little ridiculous. Yeah. And I think everyone can recognize that. But that's that, that's that thought that I'm referring to. That's like, I shouldn't have that thought. I shouldn't, like, Christians would be like, I, I shouldn't be questioning the Bible or, like, the validity of the Ark. But there are good things questioned. That's what's funny is, like, we're mm-hmm. all there. Yeah, yeah. it's like, eh, now that I think about it, it is really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of funny, too. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but clearly, it's not an all or nothing type of thing. There's gray areas, once again. We're dealing with words, and they're kind of mushy. Yeah. So do companies have an obligation to police what occurs on their websites or not? What companies do you refer to? Like YouTube? Probably like Twitter, so, CBS, yeah, there's, there's social YouTube, media. Yeah, there's YouTube, Twitter, 4chan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not that 4chan ever does any policing. Yeah, as but <laughs> I'm pretty sure 4chan is run by like a <laughs> server, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. just said, Here's your playground. Go play with it. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, do they have an obligation? I mean, that's an ongoing question. I mean, just to kind of throw some bait in the water. Yeah. Um, like, there are terms and policies when you sign up for websites. Mm-hmm. And that's not policing. That's just saying, like, hey, here's, like, that's the rules of engagement. Right. I mean, you, if you walk into a McDonald's, it says no shoes, no shirt, no service. Like, right. those are the rules of engagement. If <laughs> you, you don't wear shoes, shirt, I'm not going to feed you. Yeah. Right. Like, and and the social media sites do the same thing. They're like, here are the rules. Like, don't be an asshole. Don't get us sued. Like, those are the rules. Yeah. Like, if you do those things, you'll be punished. And then people get, like, banned and blocked. And they're like, what the fuck happened? It's like, you didn't fucking read. <laughs> Did you read well, the rules? Well, and it's like, I know, like, one of the most popular, like, defenses on, like, Twitter and such is, like, like I shouldn't be banned. I have my freedom of speech. Like, well, no, you don't. Well, you signed that away when you signed up for the account. Right, exactly. It's, it's right like, there. You are signing yeah. up to talk on a private company's product. Exactly. Not to spout it out into the public. You're not writing a tell-all book that people can either buy or ignore. You're on somebody (laughs) else's thing. Yeah, and, like, I I know, like, this happened very recently where uh, Donald Trump was banned on (laughs) Twitch. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's been getting like all of these different. What like, is he doing on Twitch? That's a. <laughs> I don't know. I had never seen him, but like it's really funny because Twitter has this like these rules and conditions yeah. where uh, you're not allowed to intentionally show any banned streamers, mm-hmm. and so people have been like, like there's a, a, a couple channels that are like political commentators just like 
what does that mean now? Does that mean I can't show Donald Trump on my stream, even though he's the president? Yeah, when you when you get to famous people, especially the president, I mean that's like that's that's different rules altogether, right? Mm-hmm. At least I would argue. I think it's almost the equivalent uh, for for like the all the legal mumbo jumbo that we talked about to kind of like simple it down. It's the equivalent of you inviting somebody over. You're going like, hey, you should come see my house. Mm-hmm. And they walk in and take a shit on your table. <laughs> and then they're like, don't get fucking mad at me for taking a shit on your table. I had to go. I- what the fuck do you want? I have a free, it's my body. I'm going to take a shit on your table. Yeah. And like, you're like, okay, but it's very clear that like, I didn't want you to shit on my table. I just wanted you to come and like say, hey, nice haberdashery that you've built around us. <laughs> Like, I don't fucking know. It could be a shop that sells men's accessories. The point is, they shat somewhere, and, like, they shouldn't have done that. And then them getting mad at you for it's fucking ridiculous. But normally on these websites, it's edgy teenagers just chattering and uh, posting words and maybe some pictures on a message board. But every so often, this leaks into the real world, often with disastrous consequences, mm-hmm. i.e. The, the shit that smells on your floor because of your neighbor. But this brings us to a place where YouTube and these series of challenges like the Tide Pod Challenge come into play. Mm-hmm. This is nowhere near as bad as 4chan raids, and they've cleaned up their act recently. Banning people for doing dumb shit after this event, YouTube is pretty activist in policing their content. Overtly at times, sometimes demonetizing people just for saying fuck. Yeah, you're not allowed to curse within like the first like minute of your video or else it's <laughs> yeah. demonetized. Yeah, it, because it's not advertiser friendly right. anymore. Yeah, see that's another thing that comes into play mm-hmm. that we're not going to talk about. Um, but that's legal. Yes, it is censorship. But once again, private companies can limit whatever speech they want. Mm-hmm. A lot of times there's uh, doing things like I mentioned before, pranks. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. But saying something bad and then saying, well, it was just a joke. It was just a prank. I know I'm beating a dead horse here, but I think pranks are dumb. <laughs> it's an interesting premise, but alas, it's overdone and uh, just played out. Um, Depends on the prank. Yeah. And here goes another famous YouTuber. I'm going to need to clean up this guy before he plays that stuff. There's a, there's a famous YouTuber who go by, goes by many names, um, but it was born as George Miller. Most people know him by his online alias, Filthy Frank. Oh. Yeah. From 2010 to 2017, he makes all kinds of dark comedic videos. He's known as the anti-vlogger. He's not politically correct in any way. And I found his videos funny. And I still think they're funny. I'll say it out loud. Um, (laughs) Never delve in the Filthy Frank rabbit hole. I got more, I, I got a little bit into him, but more so into like his friends in that group. Yeah. Like Max Mofo and like Max iDubbs. Mo- and yep. Yeah, I got it. I'm still a little into iDubbs, even though. You be simping. You be simping. <laughs> but let's, let's bring Filthy Frank to the uh, social justice warrior court in the present day. This is the people of Twitter v. George Miller, or Joji as he's known as now. Mm-hmm. We charged him with several counts of joking about race people with disabilities, fat people, 9-11, suicide, misogyny, and among all that, saying swear words and a couple racial slurs. You name it, something terrible, he's joked about it. And I still think it's hilarious. The jury of Twitter has deliberated. The day of reckoning has finally come for Joji. They do the hashtag, Joji party is over. He's been canceled. But it's not all bad. He invented the Harlem Shake, or he popularized it. 
So he's moved on to music. Are these transgressions from the past still relevant? And that's an ongoing open question. You said it was rhetorical, right? It's rhetorical. We okay. can call it rhetorical. <laughs> uh, I really like it when you preface the questions beforehand. <laughs> yeah, because then I start answering them. And like, well, that was rhetorical. Like, All right. But it's like digging up dirt on a political candidate, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's interviewed about this by Billboard, and he says, it was humor that I started, I guess, when I was in high school. So naturally, as I got older, I got tired of the humor. People's tastes change, and people's humor changes. Mm-hmm. It's very telling, right? He was playing a character, and I don't know if that makes it okay or not, but to take it a step further, you could say, well, I was wearing blackface, and I was playing a character. I'm no racist. Look, I, I'm, still, I'm still white underneath all this. So it's another interesting little thing. I think it still lies in that initial rule that we were talking about, where it's like, is it obscure enough that the joke is obvious? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is and it that's not blatantly kind of, racist? That's the home base of, like, politically correct dark humor. Mm-hmm. Is like, is it so obvious that it's a joke that everybody gets it? Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be kind of upfront and honest about, like, your... Like, like what your end goal is like yeah. for that to be true which is difficult in comedy to be like here's the punchline so get ready for it because it's coming yeah you can't tell the punchline before you tell the joke right so yeah. <laughs> then it's and not I mean, funny and that's where i think like a guy like filthy frank can get away with it is because mm-hmm. like you know by watching his videos that the entire premise is to be as absurd as physically possible yeah. exactly and a lot of the times that delves into things that aren't pc yeah and is it a character that they're playing? I don't think it matters. It, it matters to an extent just because it's important to separate. I mean, we always talk about separating the art from the artist. Um, and building those like absurd characters could be classified as art, character art, things yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, um, I, but, I guess, yeah, the character is in and of itself the absurdity of the situation. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so an example of that is there was a YouTuber whose name was... Uh, his name was... Jesse Ridgeway, maybe. He did the uh, the uh, angry father like thing on YouTube where like his dad like m- mowed over his video games or whatever. <laughs> Do you guys remember this? He Are did you like about the... Daddy O Five or is this something different? No, um, Daddy O Five is just straight up child abuse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Mick Jugger Nuggets. Okay. On YouTube had the Psycho series as he called it with Psycho yes. Dad. Psycho Dad like threw him out of his house and like he was living in the woods for a while and like yeah. all but it was this all stuff prank, happened. Right? It, it all ended up yeah coming out that it was fake. None of yeah. it was real. Um, so I guess the question is is since he um, was playing this character of this like and it, the the videos were funny because like he like raged and like said a bunch of ridiculous stuff like I'm gonna like sell some kidneys so that I can, like, get an Xbox and, like, get it, like, hooked up in the tent. And, like, you were, like, on the day-to-day watching him basically build this house in the woods because he got kicked out of his house. And his dad, like, shows up anyway and, like, takes it down with a chainsaw. Um, but, <laughs> but, since he, but since he didn't clarify, like, does he still harbor that same respect that he had when he was just the character, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of that question of, did it make it okay that he was acting the way he acted, like, ruining thanksgivings and things like that yeah because it was a character i mean if everyone was in on it then i guess so but there's a bit of betrayal still with the viewer and that could be argued but even then twitter looks at this and says well 
you were doing all this. That was you, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So they don't have the context of the video, and they just take it and run with it. And most of the time, especially with, I mean, let's delve into cancel culture. <laughs> um, they only take that part of the video. Yeah. That is the crime. Yeah, they and don't take the, the wider context of the entire channel itself. Sure, and that means mm -hmm. people like iDubs and like Max Mofo Gaming and... Filthy Frank. Filthy Frank. <laughs> they end up reaching audiences that they never intended to reach mm -hmm. that weren't their like demographic that mm -hmm. don't, that aren't in on the joke. Um, and it's usually compilation videos of like, I'd up saying the N word like for like five minutes, yeah, like over and over and over and over and over. And like, that looks bad. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you watch some of his older videos and you watch him do it and you like cringe. Cause you're like, Oh man, you shouldn't have done that. But I do remember like, a time when we were all in middle school where we were saying things like the R word to which I can't even comfortably say without like wanting to throw up. Precisely. Um, but we were all saying it like it was nothing mm -hmm. because it was a different time. Yeah. It's not a great excuse and I don't want to excuse it at all. Yeah. But it's something that you have to consider. Like we are products of our time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and like, it's also important to look at how words evolve over time. Cause like, lame or idiot idiot used to be the word referring to people with mental um mental health issues or not mental health issues but like disabilities um, cognitive disabilities yeah. yeah and then so people co-opted it into their daily speech as an insult well then it needed a new word for the medical term so that way it didn't clash with the now thing that was an insult yeah uh, so then it became retarded and now people use that word as an insult. And so now it's just like, okay, how do you navigate that landscape? Mm. Like, how do you, like, how do you apply that in a comedic sense without intentionally trying to use it in a demeaning way? I yeah. think on the subject of like the society, like changing up the meaning of words and things, it's important to realize that like we are living in like, the beginning of the age of like this is like the second age of advancement where like techno technology is like booming and social mm -hmm. media now exists which it didn't 20 years ago right yeah um, just imagine what your grandparents would have said if twitter was around in the 50s see that's the thing is like your <laughs> you grandparents <laughs> your grandparents your parents got away with saying things that were crazy because only oh, yeah. like five people heard them now mm -hmm. if you tweet something there's a chance that millions of people will figure it out yeah, yeah. um and because of that i think that I mean, we are becoming a more sensitive society, one that, like, takes those things that you say and puts them in this light of you're broadcasting this. You have to be, yeah. You yeah. have to be very careful. And you have to be careful of that now. And now you have the... Because we're in such that weird place where, like, 20 years isn't that long. Mm -hmm. But the generation before us, they lived in a world for 30, 40 years where basically you could say whatever you wanted mm -hmm. um, at any point. I mean, the 90s were a huge time of, like, here's all this new technology. Use it however the fuck you want. Just get it yeah, out there. And that, that's, like, how things... I mean, that was the 4chan of, like, TV, even, mm -hmm. before it developed into, like, oh, we could get, like, sued for this and so on. So the rules were not written in stone. They are still being written. Like, a, a good parallel to me is video games, because that's what I know and I love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Same here. There were really no rules or regulations until Mortal Kombat came out. Yeah. And yeah. because of Mortal Kombat, we then got the ESRB rating system. And that's even games like Postal. Yeah. <laughs> where you can literally whip out your ding-dong and take a piss on things. Yeah. You know? I mean, you have to think, like, 
it's still we're still right on the bridge of like less than a hundred years ago, movies didn't exist. Like right. even Flickr shows mm-hmm. were just like brand new in the 1920s. Yeah. So at less than a hundred years ago, there was no rating system for even movies. Mm-hmm. Like back then, there was nothing. And it's like you said, history rhymes, as Mark Twain once said. Um, and we're seeing that rhyme come into play with like social media and with YouTube and with Twitter and mm-hmm. all these platforms where there really aren't like rules yet. Yeah. And the more that we establish rules, the more it's going to piss people off. Um, but they have to be put in place as they were every single time that something new has come. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of and just to jump back. I think right now we're in this weird, sensitive time where all of this freedom was introduced within the last 20 years with the generation before us, Mm -hmm. um, that they got so used to that freedom and taking advantage of it and like saying what they wanted. And like South Park was created. The first couple of seasons were like crude as hell. And like uh, family guy was big. And like, that was just absolute like craziness. Um, And now that we're like getting more into the development of it and we're like, Hey, here are the negative repercussions of all this freedom. We need to start like, putting those rules into play that we did with newspaper, radio, movie, all of those things throughout time. And that generation that experienced that boom of freedom is now feeling it being taken away from them. Yeah. And they're like, people don't like that. Hey, this sucks. Yeah. This is what I want. This is what I'm used to. This isn't as fun as it used to be. So I'm going to fight you for it because you're an idiot snowflake. And it's like, there we go with name calling again. Right. And we bring it right back around to Mm -hmm. like, you're exactly right. Is name calling a va- like a viable solution? Of course it isn't because yeah. you're not working through anything. Mm-hmm. We're constantly evolving, but as we evolve, you have to realize that there's always going to be that pushback that's like, hey, I want things to stay the same as they always have been. So why are we changing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's pretty much like what that's the key point. You're piecing it all together. Hey, I gave you all this information. You you're did like, a great job. Look at that. Like putting all the puzzle pieces, you're like, yeah, this is the puzzle. This is the puzzle. That's great. I love it when that, that, that happens. I feel like I'm looking at the box that you use as the guide. Yeah. <laughs> the reason that Chloe hates puzzles, because you could just look at the box and know what the picture is. So why the fuck would you spend two hours putting it together? <laughs> but it's almost... One thing you didn't hit on is the fact that fame comes into play quite a lot. If I can say something on Twitter, and what? Three people will hear about it, if that. But when you run for president, people are going to go back. When I run for president, people are going to go back and listen to our podcast and say, well, candidate, you said you were a fic back then. Was that a lie? <laughs> it's a serious consideration now. We're all being watched and recorded nearly 24-7, and it's mostly by our own doing, too. No one's holding a gun up to my head and saying, download Instagram, little bitch. We do it to ourselves, and we open this Pandora's box of cyber communication. Like you just said, Alex. Yeah, we've like opened up the floodgate of my life is now being completely transcribed in a way that it never has been before for other mm-hmm. like people in different times. I mean, yeah. yeah, everything advanced so quickly that I think that we take advantage of it, like the social aspects, not realizing that we are also physically writing history mm-hmm. for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like our grandchildren are going to be able to look up my old Instagram username and flip through it like a photo album. <laughs> That's and I have, I have very little control over the cultivation of that, like mm-hmm. you did with like photo albums, because I'm not going to think about going back and deleting where I posted the 
Dr. Pepper can with the Hulk on it. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to think to do that. They're just going to, like, one day find it. Yeah. And be like, Imagine hey. Imagine if they find our Snapchat stories, you know? I mean, I have so many abandoned YouTube accounts from oh, when yeah. I was, like, in middle school trying to be a streamer. Like, mm-hmm. and anyone could find them. And yeah. now that I've said it, I'm sure people will. But <laughs> anyone, anyone could find them and be like, you played Unturned, like, for 48 hours, you nerd. And I just have to be like, yeah, you're right, because I put that out there. Yeah, what are you going to yeah. do, deny it? Like, that wasn't me. Right. Yeah, and it was. <laughs> Don't lie to us. Right. And so, like, you've basically, when it comes to, like, the idea of dark humor, where mm-hmm. before, like, you were a traveling comedian who did dark humor, like, if a joke didn't work one night, you can move on from it. Yeah, or, like, take it out of your act. Yeah. Um, but now, if I make a dark joke on some sort of social media and it hits wrong in any way, I could never tell a joke again. Yeah. That's a very real possibility. Get canceled. Mm-hmm. So in conclusion, all this, with all that being said, it just leaves us more confused than when we started the podcast, I'd say. And yes, I realize I've just compared 4chan to Jonathan Swift and Mark Twain and Allen Ginsberg and George Carlin and all that. But there's at least a million examples of dark comedy out there. And I'm sure we could talk for hours about all of them. But at the end of the day, the waters are muddied even more. And at this time, we're left with nothing but questions from here on out. And I think we'll struggle to answer them if we even can. If these are just mere mouth noises or digital equivalents, why are people so angry about these words? Did we go too far in letting everyone say anything, especially online? If dark comedy is just jokes, when is it okay and when is it too much? And I don't think there's a real line in the sand. And in today's cancel culture, is society getting too thin-skinned? Or are we just more aware or woke, as the kids are saying. The pendulum swings between being able to say everything or being able to say nothing. Usually, it reaches doesn't reach the very extremes of that. And dear listener, you might find dark comedy entertaining. That's all right. I'm a sick puppy, too. I joke, especially about the things that scare me the most, like dying. It's a coping mechanism. And in this crazy world we live in, it's important to find some healthy way to deal with it. Whether you make clean jokes or dark jokes or dirty jokes, it's all a reflection on what society and our surrounding people, our peers, find palatable. And it might even be about your innermost fears or desires. We all have a responsibility with this freedom of speech. With great power comes great responsibility. And that was just a lot of shit to say. Everyone finds different things funny, and you shouldn't admonish them for it. Variety is the very spice of life. So be kind, be empathetic, and crack a fucking joke once in a while. Laughter is the best medicine. And thanks for sticking around to the end of my episode of Entertain This. Very well done. Nice little bow on top. Mm -hmm. Way to wrap it up. Just as like a closing thought, if I may, Mm -hmm. I don't want to ruin your wonderful ending, which very well (laughs) wrapped it all up. So this is your little little sidebar before the quick this. The cherry on top. It's important to realize... um, I have two two things I want to say. Number one, it's important to realize um, as, as many people there are who offend... Um, and they have this booming voice now because of social media, it's also important to recognize that the people who are being offended um, also have this booming voice. Mm-hmm. And so before where people who like really didn't have a platform to be like, that hurt me. That hurt my feelings. Now they do. Um, and more people who, I mean, because people care about people, you see somebody who like cries out and is like, hey, that hurt me. That hurt my feelings. As a person, you're like, I want to help this person. And that's a lot where that comes from. It's basically what I'm saying is most of it is from a place of good intent, mm-hmm. um, which is never something that I want to stray people away from. I think that with that being said, it's important to remember the rules of dark humor, which is like 
if it's something that everyone's thinking, like like the I make jokes all the time about like wanting to die, but that's because everyone knows that that's easier than like the strifes of living. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the funny part is like, yeah, that is the easy answer. We're never going to take it. Or some people sadly do, but in most cases, we're not going to take that answer. We're going to deal with what life throws at us. But like, it's funny because that is the, easy yeah, it's the it's absurd a, it's way. A, out. It's about relatability. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. Bo Burnham said humor is, um, humor is linked by shared experience. Mm hmm. Yeah. So it, what's funny is in his song, what's funny, he talks about like the thing that's funny is you being able to go, hey, I relate to that. I also think those things. I'm glad that I'm not the only one. I also want to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, no, it's like like self-deprecating humor. It's like, yeah, I hate myself, too. All right. <laughs> right. Thumbs I mean, up. at my workplace, uh, it's a very common thing to walk past someone and be like, how's your day going? You go, I want to die. And they go, me too. And then you walk away like it was a regular greeting. And that's funny because of the dark humor behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we all don't want to be here. <laughs> and that's, yeah, and that's exactly it. We used to walk by trailers and say, fuck you. <laughs> Out of the blue. Right. Seems like that's what upper management was doing all the time. Hey, fuck you. Right. And that's the joke is like, yeah. you don't actually hate the person. You're playing that character mm -hmm. yeah. in an obscure way. Obscurity is, that's my second point is like, remember that if the obscurity is obvious, it's probably okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a person on the other end of the, your joke. If the obscurity isn't obvious and the person who like hears the joke isn't like, clearly they're on my side and realize how ridiculous this is. They're yeah. joking. Hmm. Chances are you probably went too far. Just something to keep in mind for all far. the listeners out there. Some some helpful advice from Alex. <laughs> Make a joke, damn it. <laughs> Make a joke, damn it. <laughs> uh, coming up, I take on our Quick This. Quick This. <laughs> so, uh, last week on the podcast, I talked about Knives Out and the many possible implications that... Uh, Ryan Johnson may have had. I still haven't heard back from him on Instagram, which was the only platform where I was able to reach out and Heartbreak. DM. Um, but that being said, it is because of our rotation. It is now my week to do the quick this. Uh, and this week I binge watched a show because uh, COVID makes you binge watch things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been actually really looking into watching the show, which we've already talked about on the podcast. We talked about at least the movie uh, version, and it is what we do in the shadows. And we're starting the timer. It started. So <laughs> what we do in the shadows uh, originally was a movie directed by... Taika Waititi. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, Good name. Yes. It is a mockumentary style, uh, kind of like The Office, Parks mm -hmm. and Rec, uh, those. those many familiar mockumentary style uh, series. And it takes on the life of the modern day vampire in mm -hmm. a comedic light. And I think that it kind of goes into dark humor really well. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, traditionally a vampire is this really like terrifying... Uh, terrifying kind of uh, character that basically uh, it, it sucks your blood in the night and it, it kills you and hunts you and all of that and all of that is very present within this uh, original movie. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go too far in the plot because I only have five minutes but basically it takes on the life of like what does it look like for a vampire who 
like has to go to the DMV or like mm-hmm. <laughs> like has to deal with taxes or like has neighbors they don't like or like yeah. has to mow their grass and like like has to deal with uh roommates. Yeah, things mm. like that. Um but I don't want to talk about the movie too much because I mean more than anything just because I I this is kind of sad, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie because it's not readily available to me and thus wasn't easy gotcha. to find. Um, but I hope to see it soon because I just binge watched the first two seasons of the spinoff series created by FX. Mm-hmm. Um, FX traditionally is a channel, um, a cable channel, but are now streaming on Hulu um, that basically will let you do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. They are very lax with their rules. Uh, and because of that, we see the use of the F word a lot during this. <laughs> Uh, the series is also directed by Psycho Waititi. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Call and response. It really is. But it was uh, written by a bunch of people, including him, mm-hmm. um, including Taiko Waititi. There you go. Hey. Thank you. Um, and he has cameos because he was in the original as he well, was. which he starred in. His cameos playing that same vampire as well as the other vampires that mm-hmm. take place. Uh, they are in this series, but this series more focuses on. Uh, three main characters, which is um, Nadja, Nandor, and Laszlo, are the three roommates who live on Staten Island mm-hmm. um, <laughs> with uh, a, an energy vampire named Colin Robinson. Uh, an energy vampire is basically those people who you talk to that bore you to death to the point where you just <laughs> yeah. want to fall asleep. That That is them physically draining your energy. I love it. Um, yeah. And they refer to him multiple times as a... Um, Dilbert-looking fella, <laughs> which is really funny. Uh, they also go into the relationships of familiars with the character Guillermo. Mm-hmm. Um, and Guillermo is Nan- Nandor's familiar. He's been his familiar for 10 years, we learn on the pilot episode. And the relationship is basically like you are an indentured servant to these vampires mm-hmm. working for them during the daylight with the hope of them eventually turning you into a vampire. And yeah. that's like Guillermo's whole storyline is like, I want to be a vampire he hasn't turned me into a vampire after 10 years. And it's like that thing of like, um, if you're getting the milk from the cow, why would, why buy the cow? Like, you know, like the, if a, like if a girl's putting out for you, why would you marry her? And it's like, because you love her. And like that relationship kind of is between Nandor and Guillermo. He's like, why don't you finally commit and like, make me a vampire? Like make me (laughs) not, not in that kind of way. It's just a very similar relationship. But, um, to get into the other characters, Nadia and Laszlo are married couple. Um, Nadia, Nadia turned um, Laszlo into a vampire and basically stole him away from this like polio ridden city and now they all live with Nandor on Staten Island but the thing that I like about it is it's very modern day mm-hmm. so like the Baron this big like leader of the vampires comes to uh, basically say like I sent you here to like conquer the new world and they're like does he mean like all of America because this place is fucking huge <laughs> like that's one of the lines is he's like if you haven't noticed this place is fucking huge mm-hmm. um and they finally discuss that like no they just need to take over staten island and <laughs> the energy vampire colin robinson decides like hey i i know this place where we can go it's this great place i love it so much takes him to a town hall meeting where he's like these are the people who are in charge of staten island these are the people you have to like take over <laughs> and nandor's like a like a very old like invader like dictator like mongolian style like i come in i rip your head off i take over your village and he like walks in and he like gets like way close to the mic and he's like you will surrender to me your power and they're like we can get you on the bracket for next week he's like yeah i go i can come back next week yes that's great yeah i can come back next week um 
But all in all, it's a great show that basically takes vampires and paints them in this light of look how ridiculous they are when yeah. you put them in the modern day <laughs> and like give them the internet and tell them about emails. Like one episode sees them dealing with, I'm going over five minutes, but this is a funny oh, episode. Be fine. One episode goes into them like receiving a, uh, an email that's like, send this to 10 people or Mary will curse you. <laughs> and they're vampires. So they're like, curses are real. Like right. this is like a real thing. And they're like desperately searching for 10 emails to send to them. They're like, if you don't send this by morning, you'll be dead. And like the B plot of the episode is like, someone's coming to kill them. Like, <laughs> and Guillermo has to like distract this person. And by the end of the episode that wraps up, like, and they don't die. And they're like, if you send this to 10 people, you'll have untold riches. And he finds like 20 bucks in his pocket. He's like, untold riches. And like, just <laughs> confirms that like this internet, like uh, basically this internet chain email um, was real. Yeah. But who's to say? It's a great show. It's very funny. It has a very Jojo Rabbit feel of like, here's this very serious um, idea. Let's flip it on its head and show how actually ridiculous this is. <laughs> Uh, in this light that I painted. I love which, it. Fantastic. Go watch it. It's on Hulu. You have to deal with ads, I know. But it's a great show and well worth your time. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. Hey, I'll entertain it. Hey, that's great. You probably <laughs> won't because I told you to entertain Knives Out and you haven't watched that yet either. Nick. A busy man. I know. You'll have time eventually to watch it. <laughs> I feel like we're all a bunch of energy vampires. Yeah, he was a talk forever. Could you imagine an energy vampire who fed through a podcast? Oh, Ooh. my God. He'd be like huge, right? That's what happens to vampires when they. So I'll be honest, I'm pretty sure Bob Ross is an energy vampire. How dare you? No, he's great. Yeah, I love him, (laughs) and he does great art. But also, like, he puts me to sleep, like just because he's calm and like comforting and feels like being wrapped in a social warm blanket. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that could be him. Yeah, he's taking little sips. Listen, little sips. Mm. Chef's kiss. <laughs> little beat I'm sure that comes paper. across great on the podcast. A little, uh, little ASMR for you. <laughs> little Bob Ross. Beating the devil out of the paintbrush. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's another episode of Entertain This in the Bag, boys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> did he say listening? Yeah, I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this episode of Entertain This was researched and hosted by Nick Mustakangas with additional commentary from Alex Steele and Michael Savoya. Our music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer with additional music from DJW. We release new podcasts every Friday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>